Hello, and welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates that you don't need a lot of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, one of your two estimable hosts. My name is John Steinberg, joined, as always, by Aiden Barrett. And we're going to kick things off, as we always do on this year's program, with our words to live by. A little bit of wisdom for you to tuck away in your back pocket when the road ahead seems a little bit murky and challenging. So, Aiden, you selected our quote this uh, week. What are we going to be looking at? Yeah, our words to live by this week are, what lies in our power to do lies in our power not to do. And John, this is, uh, I think, something that can relate to anyone at some point in time. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be road bumps. There's going to be, you know, tough times where, you know, it, it's not going your way. Maybe something, you know, it, is wrong now. And I think at that point, you got to realize that, you know, you're one decision away from having a completely different outcome. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you think back to, you know, other people who are out there, people in the, especially in the disability community who may be having a rough time right now, maybe trying something that's not really working out or, you know, maybe they're not doing anything. Maybe they're, you know, not doing anything and want to, you know, get back to, you know, the life that they had before, you know, they had an accident or a tragedy. Um, they're a decisional way from getting a completely new trajectory. Like, obviously, I know, John, we talk about it all the time on this podcast, you know, joining a sport, joining a club, uh, you know, doing steps to get to, you know, something that you want to get better at, doing steps to, you know, get to something you want to be do something professionally. Um, I mean, you're only one, you know, decision away, uh, move away from completely changing the type of trajectory that you're on. So I think this kind of goes out to a lot of people. A lot of people can at least relate to this at one point in their life where, you know, they, they maybe been, were going one way. All of a sudden they said, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the best way. Let's do something different. Let's do try something else. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, you know what? This is actually working out pretty well for me. Or maybe it's working out really well for you. And then all of a sudden that doesn't work. So now you have to try out something else. And, you know, you just keep trying, figuring out, you know, the different things that you can do, figuring out, you know, what works for you, what you like to do. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people, I feel like, you know, John, I'm sure you've been somewhere where like you want something to work, you really want something to work and it didn't work out and you're kind of just down and, you know, you don't really feel good and you're like, oh, well, will it ever get better? Well, maybe you got to find a new road, find a new road to drive down. And uh, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to, you know, finding that maybe a new path that you have to take, finding something that realizing that, okay, it's not going to work out. Got to try something else or maybe I'll experiment with something else. And then you wind up, you know, doing really well. So I think to take the biggest thing to take away from this quote, at least for me, John, obviously I'll ask for your opinion is that you're always just a decision away. You have the power to choose what you can do, and also what you cannot do. And um, I think it can go both ways in, uh, you know, working out for you. Yeah, to me, um, this speaks to the larger issue of autonomy. And for so many, they'll just throw up their hands and go, oh, well, what am I going to do? Like, oh, well, I didn't want to be in this position, and now I'm in it, and uh, what am I going to do? You know, what can I do? And try to... Um, kind of shake blame off or sort of lead a life as though 
um, they've been completely victim and maybe, I mean, they have been victimized, but like in, um, a way that is, um, perhaps uncommon and extreme. And you have the ability to indeed change that course, chart a new course, um, take on a new route, see things through a completely dissimilar lens. Um, very much is within your power to achieve, and it's all about the way in which you choose to look at a set of circumstances. And um, with that, that's a great quote uh, this week, Aiden, by the way. Uh, Thank you, yeah. Of course, man. Um, so now we're going to move it on to our next segment, Handprints Hall of Fame, where we induct someone who we feel to be extraordinarily worthy of more consideration and enshrinement. So modeled after the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame and the handprints outside Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, we like to think our inductees will and have left a legacy just as incomparable as the stars of stage and screen who laid their hands in the cement outside Grauman's Chinese Theater. So I made the selection this week, and I chose iconic baseball. I don't toss around this word lightly. I would say hero. Baseball hero. One, Roberto Clemente. Taken from us far too soon. The gentleman who ushered in, he was the first of his kind. Um, now, there would be no David Ortiz, Pedro Martinez, Manny Ramirez, Albert Pujols, if Roberto Clemente hadn't navigated the path from um, a Dominican baseball star to one in uh, the major leagues. Uh, of course, he perished on his way to serve a humanitarian mission in, uh, in Central America. Over 10 all-star appearances, an MLB MVP, World Series victory, uh, one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived, and one of the more remarkable lives. Again, cut too short. Roberto Clemente, congratulations. Rest in peace. You are the latest inductee into our Handprints Hall of Fame. Aiden, what did uh, what did you think of the pick? John, I, I love this pick. Um, I mean, just going off of, you know, statistics alone, uh, I mean, 18 MLB seasons, uh, National League MVP, 15 All-Star games, uh, Hall of Famer. I mean, this is one of the, the most talented athletes of all time. Then you talk about the type of impact he had on the game because I'm pretty sure one of the uh, things with the Hall of Fame is – don't know the exact terminology, but almost be like a change to the game. 
And um, I mean, Roberto Clemente was a change for the game. And I mean, you just named off some of the players who he opened door for. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, um, just a terrific baseball player. But then, you know, we're going to the other side, obviously, John, as um, you know, you, you talked about, you know, left the world a little bit too soon. I mean, just thinking about it. I mean, this guy was helping people till the day he died. Um, I mean, this was somebody who was going to do charity work, more charity work. And I mean, this wasn't somebody who had to go do it. No, he just wanted to go do it. I would honestly say that if I talked to Roberto Clemente today, he probably felt almost that he needed to do it. Like he felt he needed to be a difference. And that's exactly what Roberto Clemente was. And that's what we're looking for when we're talking about, you know, Handprints Hall of Fame, people who feel the need that they have to make a difference. They have to do something out of the ordinary. And I mean, just going to where Roberto Clemente was and to where he is now, where the MLB is now, um, the, the type of person that he was. Uh, yeah, this is an all-around fantastic pick. I'm glad to put him in. I am as well. And uh, now we are going to kick it up to our next segment, Profiles in Courage, where we have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody that we find inspiring. Uh, Aiden, who will we be speaking with um, uh, on this episode? Yeah, we're going to be talking to Mark Ficali. Um, he's got a great new app that they're working on right now. He's got a great story as well. I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing from today, John. As am I. Mark, just kind of getting started off, obviously in Mark Network, you can connect with people there going through similar situations. Obviously, it's really important. Do you see almost a difference from people who have that opportunity as opposed to people who don't have the opportunity to meet with people who are in similar situations? Oh, without a doubt, 100%. Um, you know, just stemming from my own experience and then mentoring and meeting so many other people, um, early on in their journey of recovery from being an amputee um, or even just a spinal cord injury or anything, it's everyone I've talked to felt alone. They felt like they were the only ones and they felt like this was the end of the road. They didn't think they were going to have a life moving forward. Um, my own sister was like making a spot on her couch for me to come live at 35 years old. And she thought she, I, she was going to have to take care of me. Meanwhile, I was just up at my dad's last night from seven o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, pumping water with a two inch trash pump, pumping water out of his backyard because he's 75 and, you know, send up the crippled, you know, son, you know, with a prosthetic and a, you know, with, with a special brace to that can barely walk up there to fix the problem, you know? Uh, so yeah, the, the, I had plenty of opportunities and um, I've seen how that changed my life. But even with all the opportunities and exposure around my event being an amputee, I still struggled. I mean, the resources were still difficult to find. Um, I just had a little bit of like a leg up to say, right, because of the publicity. And um, but, yeah, it took me three and a half years to find the perfect socket for me to get into. And all it was was a simple conversation with another amputee in an in a prosthetic clinic where he was getting his prosthetic adjusted and I was getting mine adjusted and I saw him putting it on and I asked him hey what's that and he's like oh it's a double wall I'm like double wall like what's that he goes, you don't know what a double wall is he goes how long have you been an amputee 
said three years. He goes, and no one told you what a double wall is? I'm like, no. I just thought I said a suction socket. He's like, oh, that's crazy. I said, well, what's the difference from yours to mine? He's like, oh, look, it does this, it does that. You know, he goes, look, you can hang me upside down and it won't fall off. He goes, you lose a little bit of weight through the day or you sweat, you break, you break your sail, your leg falls off while you walk. So that's what happened to me. That's why I'm here getting another socket because I keep shrinking and adjusting throughout the day. And as I walk playing like a sporting event at a, at a, at a softball game, I was walking to, you know, kind of hobble into first base. My leg flew off. He goes, yeah, that's what happened to me. I'm an active sports participant. And he goes, my leg was always falling off. I said, I was just climbing up an excavator and my leg fell off in the day, you know, and then I was stuck in the excavator and my leg was down on the ground. And, you know, and that's, you know, I, I, I definitely see people that have the resources early on definitely do better quicker. And that's why we created the Mark Network is to be able to get people and show them that there's a life after amputation um and that there are resources out there and i don't want it to take three years for that person to be able to put a prosthetic on and have a and have an enjoyable life yeah you, you know you definitely talk about you know the time from a big thing obviously you said when you know it first happened to you, your sister was getting ready for you to live on her couch didn't wind up that way um obviously you have a bunch of you know opportunities uh events to get involved in for people who might have just you know lost a limb or might you know have a new disability that's affecting them um you know going through it because i mean i feel like everyone kind of feels like at first or you know you were kind of saying i've seen it a lot where like they don't know if they can get back to that normal they have to go out and find a new normal do you think there's an importance of getting back involved as soon as you can? Or do you think it's, you know, it's more so when they're ready? Like, do you think that somebody should be trying to get involved right away? Or do you think that, you know, you need to let them kind of take their time when they're ready to come in, they come back? Um, I think every situation is always different, right? First and foremost, like what works for me doesn't always work for somebody else, right? We need to accept that and understand that too. Um. It's definitely a journey, right? I mean, but I think we should all be involved in the recovery for someone, showing them their capabilities and their possibilities, right? Um, and then let them work their way to that, right? So I think everybody's different. It takes everybody a little bit longer, and sometimes it takes it a little bit shorter. Um, but I definitely think everybody should get involved within the amputee community, Right. If you become an amputee, you better get involved in the amputee community. Right. I mean, it's almost like drinking. Right. If you're drunk, you should get involved in AA. Right. Because yeah. they're going to help you. You know, and I mean, um, but as being an amputee, you should definitely get involved with other amputees early, right from the start, right from the start. And that's what we're building the Mark Network for. You know, like I, I was blown up in the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013 and the resources, you know, were coming to find me because they knew about me, but a typical person that just loses a limb and then like an everyday event or surgery or an infection or diabetes or motorcycle accident, that publicity is not around their event. Right. So nobody knows that that just happened to those people and they're not reaching out to them. Like I had people reaching out to me and what that did was that brought me on board to Achilles international, right. Running, marathons but i started hand cycling marathons but that opened me up to the community which brought me around 
similar people facing similar challenges. And we communicated and shared ideas and shared things that worked, shared things that didn't work. And that's where my recovery happened faster. You know, and I got back to that new normal really fast because I was around the community and was able to see what I was really capable of doing. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you talk about the community and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are looking to get involved in the community and they find a community. Obviously, you know, you had your own tragedy. What made you not just want to be one of those people who can get involved in the community, but be one of those leaders, like come up with an app, come up with, a, you know, a page, you know, coming up with a bunch of things, wanting to get back involved to what you were doing beforehand. What made you, you know, go, OK, you know what, not just get involved in the community. Let's be one of the leaders here. What, what was what was inside of you that made you want to do that? Uh, I'm a person as much as I talk, I do listen and I observe. Right. I always observe. I observe every observe every situation and I look at everything and I hear people and I see the problems within the community and my brain just solves problems. And I honestly didn't want to do this. Like I didn't like, it's a lot of work <laughs> and I'm lazy, you know? Um, so I, I was hoping somebody else would create this centralized location. Right. But unfortunately, one thing I noticed is everybody kind of is like, they don't want to give up anything to anybody else. They want it to be all theirs and they want to get the fame for everything. It's it's difficult. I'm at a 10K in Connecticut, right? Doing the hopes and possibilities with Achilles. And we're in this gym and the announcer's talking about the coalition, amputee coalition. If you're an amputee, go to the table in the back. You know, if you're, you know, if you have a spinal cord injury, go to the spinal cord injury of America table. And if you're blind, go to the coalition of the blind and you have MS, go over here. And I'm like, you know, it's just segregation, right? Everybody's separated. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's weak. The numbers are low. But if we all came together, we'd be a lot stronger. And we could change things if we all focus on the one common goal that we all face is our mobility, right? Is the ability to move. Right. When you're blind, it's hard to go across the street without those special lights, sirens and different things, you know. Um, and if you're in a wheelchair, it, you know, you get the access getting up and off a curb as an amputee. I want that ramp, too. You know, I don't want to step up on curb. I trip, you know, um, as an elderly person, as a stroke survivor, as somebody with SMS or, you know, CP, you know, uh, or Parkinson's like. We all, it's the movement through an aisle, um, up a ramp, going upstairs, you know, elevators, things that we need. Um, and if we all just focused on that, we, we'd accomplish a lot more and make a difference. Um, but what really made me was I have a pretty big network and I was given a platform uh, and a great story, right? So I have access to networks, um, television stations, radio stations, people that want to interview me, podcasts that most people don't have, right? Like, oh, you a motorcycle accident, right? Okay. There's a lot of motorcycle accidents, right? How many Boston Marathon bombings are there, right? Um, so I have this platform and, and I'm going to utilize it now, you know, and I, I do have a great work promotion and I have a great work ethic. Uh, so I said, you know what, it's time time to do this because every day I don't do it, you know, there's a 300 to 500 scheduled new limb amputations every day in the U.S. alone. 
That's 300 to 500 families every day that need resources that aren't getting them because everybody's being selfish and trying to hold on to what they've built. I'm not trying to compete with anybody. I'm trying to bring everybody under an umbrella and protect them from the rain and help them grow. And that's it. I'm not here to compete with anybody because honestly, there's no competition, right? I, I don't need to win anything. I have nothing to prove. I'm not in competition with anybody. Yeah. You know, I'm in competition with my myself as being a good person, and 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 that's it. So, uh, every now it's a common question, like in a, a common thing with people when I tell them about what I'm doing, and I'm trying to partner with them. Like, how much money is your? What's your operating budget for marketing and promotions? Right. Most of these nonprofits have zero dollars for marketing and promotions. They have zero because they're too busy buying equipment, right? Paying employees to work with the people with the disabilities. And that's where all their focus and money goes. Let me focus on just promoting you, yeah. right? And that's it. That's all I want to do. I, I, you know, and then I will get advertisement dollars through that and be able to feed the money back into your program and help you. Um, you know, and, and we're start, people are starting to see that. So I'm hoping, you know, I mean, I know there are some companies out there that work with the mobility community. And I've talked to some other organizations within the mobility community that are big companies. They're 17 years nonprofit, big nonprofits, and they have great, great resources. And they tried to partner with the big fish of the sea. And they were like, no, 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 you know, and I'm not that. I'm, I'm just a guy blown up by a bomb supporting a friend. And that just sees a need for these families. And when we're all competing, nobody's winning. When we all come together, everybody wins. And it takes a little while, you know, for people to understand that. But I'm hoping we can break those barriers. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, of course, definitely. I mean, I know you, you're explaining it too. And me and John see it all the time where like, you know, with talking with adaptive sports programs, seeing like, you know, one person go from another sport to another. And then all of a sudden they're all involved. And like, you know, like you said, it's good that, you know, it, it's all it shouldn't be labeled as like, you know, one person has an amputee. Another person might be like autistic. It should all be, you know, one thing. It's a team effort. And obviously, you know, that that's the way it should be approached. Um, I know, you know, John's definitely got another couple of few questions about, uh, you know, what you're doing. I do. I do. So, uh, Mark, I was interested in what do you tell people who are recent members of um, the amputee community who are kind of just beginning their own journey, they're struggling, um, they're kind of unsure about what comes next. And um, I work at a school for the blind, so, and I'm blind myself, so I, I see it all the time. And I'm, I'm curious what you sort of tell people who are recently um, – Faced with a new challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. John, I, that's a great question. Um, awesome, to be honest. Uh, my biggest thing I tell people is accept. Accept your situation. You must accept your situation because you can't go back in time and change it. It is what it is. You're blind. That's it. You're blind. You, you know, like, accept it and let's move on and let's focus on what we control right? What decisions we can make going forward. I'm an amputee. My leg ain't growing back. I can sit here and complain and be a baby, you know, be upset about it. What, what, what good is that doing? 
That's wasting energy and wasting time. So I accepted my situation. I use a wheelchair. I love a wheelchair. It's like driving a motorcycle. You know, I do couple wheelies. I do donuts, run over people's feet. It's awesome, right? Life is how you view it, right? If you view it as negative, it'll be negative. If you view it as a positive, it's positive. I take the opportunity all the time to crack jokes. Like, hey, watch your toes. I could use them, right? When I'm in my wheelchair, getting into an elevator when it's packed. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, I, I wish I had two legs that worked. I'd be using the stairs, right? I use every opportunity to bust people's chops and have fun with it, right? Um, so my biggest thing is accept your situation that you're in and focus on your future and what you can control moving forward because nothing in the past, we we, we can't change it. You know, we can't change nothing that's in our past. So that's that's my biggest thing. But there is a lot more I do teach too and I do talk to people about, you know, is one day at a time. Take one day at a time. Small steps will equal a great height, right? Every step you walk over should be about an eight by seven, eight inches by seven inch rise, right? If you take 10 steps and they're small, seven inches, now you're at 70 inches. You know, do the math, 70 divided by 12, right? Now I'll tell you how many feet you're off the ground, right? But there's those little accomplishments that add up to make great accomplishments, big accomplishments. Absolutely. Powerful, powerful stuff, Mark. Um, so, okay, I'm, I'm interested in, okay, what do you view as kind of where, so you mentioned, you know, different sub-communities within the larger uh, disabled community. So folks with them, you mentioned, seg- like, it's kind of segregated in, um, in space. So people with MS go over here. People who are visually impaired go over here. Um, but I found out today, um, so I'm from Southern California. I'm a diehard Clippers fan. Um, I found out today that the Clippers implemented a policy where 7% of the individuals that work for the team um, have to be, and I'm not sure exactly how they categorize this, but 7% have to be disabled. So that got me thinking, like, what is the ultimate goal here? Because I see that and I'm like, that's a that's an amazing sign of progress that I could not envision being implemented um, on an organizational level like 20 years ago. And now it's very much kind of the, um, the pathway going forward. So what do you see as a successful future? What, what does that kind of look like? I mean, I think as our numbers grow, I think we'll be able to change a lot right? In society. And I think, uh, so I have the Mark Network, which is the app, right? Which I'm working on it to make it accessible for everybody of all types of disabilities. And it's all new to me. And we're working with companies and big, big companies to to get everything accessible because it's still not accessible yet. That's why we haven't done a full launch. Um, it's up, it's running. Everybody's able to down Mark Network 2.0, MARC, Mobility Awareness Resource Community Network 2.0, MARC. Uh, it's free in Apple and Google. But moving forward, I honestly think it's almost an insult, right, that they require that they have to be 7%. Listen, I know people with disabilities that are way smarter than people working in great jobs in corporate America, right? Like, just because I'm disabled doesn't, you know, and I got no leg doesn't mean I don't have a brain, right? 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're blind. You seem really intelligent, really smart. I mean, so why couldn't you hold the position, right? They should accommodate you. In, and, and I don't think anybody should get a job just because the specific, you know, disability that they have. I think that it should be that you're qualified, right? You know, of course. like I, I, I do. But I also think that, you know, companies should be able to accommodate people like yourself, in myself and my wife who has no arms and no legs, you know, like she should be able to be accommodated to be able to work there. Right. And be successful. And she should be able to be accommodated to thrive in that environment. Like you yourself, things should be set up specifically in there for someone like in your situation, being blind should be able to maneuver and be able to do whatever he needs to do to create his finishes job that you are more than capable of doing if they accommodate to you, right? So I don't think that they should require a certain amount of specific people at a percentage, right? I think that, I think that they should be required to have the facilities and the jobs and the locations accessible for people to work, right? Um, That's just, that's just my opinion on how I view things, not saying it's right or wrong, but I think it's a great step. Like, of course, like, I think everybody should have that opportunity, right? Every, you know, it it, it 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 goes back to almost segregation of skin color, right? Not being able to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, long hair may not apply, right? Like if you had long hair, you couldn't get a job here, right? Like what does that really affect your job, right? You know, having long mm-hmm. hair does it really, I mean, unless you're working around wind turbines and your hair gets stuck in it and you go out the, out the you know, <laughs> the back of the engine, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I do think it's great. I think, I think that companies, corporations and buildings, you know, I don't think stairs should really exist in the entrance of the first floor of any building, right? I mean, I move earth and dirt with excavation equipment. You know, you could elevate, you know, the building and elevate the ground around it to accommodate a ramp. You know, it's that old um, funny papers with the with the janitor shoveling the stairs because there's a long line of kids trying to get into the school. And then there's one kid in a wheelchair waiting to get up the ramp. And he's like, hey, can you just shovel the ramp? He's like, well, wait a second. I got to shovel the stairs so they all can get in. And it's like, well, if you shovel the shovel the ramp, everybody could still use the ramp, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just think, I think it's great. I do. I, 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 You know what? And I think everybody should have an opportunity, right? And even if, if you're not qualified, I think, I think you should still... It's weird. If the reason you're not qualified is due to your disability, I think you still should be given the chance and opportunity, right? Um, I just think that's just kind, right? Kindness. Like yeah, if I had yeah. if if I had if I had a job and an opportunity to hire somebody with autism that's like just barely like an extreme circumstance case of autism that could barely manage and work, but is willing to try, like I, I would I'd love to present him with that opportunity to feel you know, just that's the kind and nice and good thing to do. And it's it's given somebody that opportunity. I think we should give everybody opportunities, even if they're not disabled, right? Like, I, I just think this is a kind kind thing to do. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I was also curious, um, when um, the incident took place and you were in the aftermath of that, um, who are the folks that you turned to for inspiration, uh, books, you know, musicians, movies. Um, I mean, 
could have been the Bible, could have been any number of outlets um, that um, provided you with kind of that inspiration um, to, uh, to to kind of move forward. You know, truthfully, who it was the fight to be a father and be there for my child and my son. Because uh, I had a five-year-old boy at the time when I got blown up and laid in that hospital mm-hmm. bed. And I fought just to get back to him to take care of him. And because I know that's my duty, right? As a man and as a father, uh, that's my duty is to fight to get back to take care of my son. Um, but also my biggest motivation and my biggest drive in knowing I could accomplish everything and get through this was seeing my mother, a woman, raise three kids as a single mom working three jobs. If my mom can do that, there isn't anything anybody can do. You know what I mean? Like, I know Mm -hmm. I can do anything. You know, if I watch this woman struggle and kill herself to keep a roof over her kids' heads by working three jobs, that's exhausting. Most people can't even work one. It's embarrassing, right? The note, like the lack of strength and pride people have. Uh, it, it drives me nuts when someone's like, ah, oh, I got so much. I'm like, that's talk to me. You got so much to do. Everything's so hard. I watched my mother kill herself, raising three kids, working three jobs. You can't tell me that you can't, you know, you don't have enough money or you don't have this, but yet you, you're not doing everything that you can do. Right. Uh, you're mm-hmm. just being lazy. Um, so I don't, I don't take, you can't, isn't a word in my book. That, like it really isn't. Um, and it's due to that woman, my mother. Yeah, I mean, I, I was raised by strong women in my life. My Aunt Patty raising nine kids, you know, um, my mom, uh, my grandmother, Mabel, you know, her six children and, you know, and everything that that woman did, my grandmother, uh, my sister putting herself through college and working in class presidents and killing it, killing it in the, in, you know, in her, in her, her line of her field that she worked in um just that right there you know i have as a like it, it, you know call me whatever you know women and men like you know the women of my life just destroy men that i know right and i'm like that's an embarrassment to me you know for, for men you know to know that women are beating you up you know so uh and i know that's sexist right like that's everybody's but you know in my mind you know, that that's where I got my motivation from, man, the strength mm-hmm. of those women around me and uh, knowing that, you know, they can do that. You know, I can do that, too. And I can do anything. So that that's where I got my inspiration and my son, like I said, to be there for my son. Definitely. Family always comes first. The ultimate gift. Um, truly uh, an inspiring uh, story that you've uh, you've got, Mark. I'm going to kick it back over to uh, to Aiden. Mm. Thank you, John. Great questions, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, Mark, obviously, I mean, you've said it yourself. I mean, we didn't even have to ask the questions. I mean, you guys have a fantastic, fantastic story. Great stuff. Um, Obviously, Mark, you have a new app coming out. We definitely want to highlight that. Mark Network 2.0. I know you said you guys are doing a little bit more to get it all uh, set up, but it is out there. So if our viewers want to go out and check it out, go ahead, check it out. But Mark, I want to open the floor to you. What's some of the, what do you what do you want to say about this app? What 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 can we expect? Oh God, I mean, I mean, it's really going to be a network, right? It, it's going to be the the mobile 
community, right, is um, just a little tip of the iceberg, right? What it really wants to be is an opportunity for occupational physical therapists, prosthetists to engage with their patients, with their customers, um, for families to ask like, hey, my, you know, my little brother just became an amputee. Like, what's his life going to be like? Right. Mentor each other, get some therapy, get some answers, see some hopes and possibilities that your family member and loved one will get. Right. How about a physical therapist? I got this 250 pound man that's using an X3 prosthetic from Autobach and I, I can't get him to go down the stairs. Right. How, how, right. Ask somebody like myself, like get the heel closer to the edge, ride the knee down, maybe add a little resistance and let him get used to that to feel safe. And then you can lighten the resistance, right? Oh, I didn't even think of that. You know, um, or a prosthetist say, Hey, I got this new guy just came into physical therapy today. And now you're in the prosthetic chat group and you say, Hey, any pro, you know, any prosthetists, any occupational therapists, or any amputees out there, can you help me understand and know a little bit more than the regular video stuff and owner's manual that I'm reading about an X3 that really might not be in the doc, the paper doc, documents that I have, right? And uh, so it's really an engagement that we're trying to get out of the platform. It's going to be content, hoping to do some like dating with a disability show, uh, cooking with a disability, you know, doing and just airing these things. And it's, I don't want to create this. This is already out there. We just want to put it all in one location. So somebody doesn't have to keep trying to search and find and you weed out all the top dollar payers, you know, advertisers. That like, you know, I'm looking for a wheelchair and it's like, yeah, these companies that aren't even A, in business anymore, C, they're in China, right? <laughs> and you have to order them and you don't know if you're getting scammed or not, right? So it's just um, this platform in the Mark Network is just going to really be a supportive and a positive community, right? If you don't like what I'm saying or like what I'm posting, scroll by it. If you don't got anything good to say, don't say anything at all, right? I mean, that's my grandmother lived by. Um so the app, I really, you know, we need sponsorship. We need advertisements. We need colleges on board. We need communities. We need this physical occupational therapists to join, to share their information, share resources that they know of, that they believe in, that are out there, that are usable. Products, right? Product reviews. We want to know what the new good product is, right? And how do we know that, like on Amazon? I mean, come on, you get a card in the mail that says, hey, We'll send you a $10 gift card if you give us a five-star rating. What kind of product review is that, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, this this platform is um, is early. It's early on. Uh, we're doing a geo map location for, you know, adaptive automobiles, right? Like Mobility Works companies, where they are. So, if you're traveling to Texas, you'll be able to search the geo location map for a wheelchair company, for a prosthetic company that you might need an adjustment while you're traveling from Boston to Austin, Texas. And you search within that area and you'll find stuff that you need. But also if an amputee came to Boston on vacation with his family and first day in on the trip, his prosthetic broke. Well, what does he do? Right? Like, Hey, reach out to the community and I might not be able to give you a prosthetic, but I could give you a wheelchair to use because I have a wheelchair here that you could use to get around with your family, you know, or a pair of crutches. You can get around at least and still enjoy your vacation. Because like when I travel, I don't bring my wheelchair. I don't bring crutches. 
I bring my prosthetic leg and if it breaks, I'd be, you know, out of luck. But where where you could reach out to a community in a trust and a positive community, you could hopefully get some resources from them. Yeah, no, definitely awesome stuff, Mark. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a really big thing, I think, because like we, me and John talked about in the podcast we talked about here today is kind of like learning to uh, live out your new normal. And the questions, I mean, they just stack up, stack up, stack up, but you guys are trying to bring it so it's all in one. So, I mean, that's great stuff. And I definitely, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of stress there already, and that's kind of a little bit more of a stress reliever. So, I mean, it's great stuff, Mark. I mean, we, we loved having you on today. You have an awesome story. I mean, I think we, I can speak for John as well. We're both big fans of your app. Um, I mean, awesome story, great stuff. And thank you so much for coming on today. No, I appreciate it. You know, thank you for having me. And, you know, it's just spreading that word and in, in, in the community, giving back to one another is really what I want. I want another amputee to answer another amputee's question, right? Solve that problem for each other, work together. Because uh, that's it. You know, we're all in the same boat. And, you know, John, like, we're working on getting this app accessible to the blind, to the deaf. Like, we're working on we're working on a lot of stuff that we're still, you know, developing and, and putting together. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. Great stuff Mark had to give us. Obviously, the viewers out there, go ahead, check his app out. Mark Network 2.0. It's already out there. They're making some more advancements from what it sounds like. Uh, so it should get even better. Uh, you know, we wish Mark the best in the rest of his journey. And uh, f- super, uh, super happy to talk to him. How are we, John? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Somebody, one of those people where, okay, even if what happened to him had never, even if he had never um, been at the Boston Marathon in the first place, this still is a guy with an incredible amount of wisdom, insight, and the ability to articulate all of it in a way that I think everybody can get on board with. So was uh, really pleased to be able to speak with him. And that is going to bring us to our next segment, uh, Respect and Representation in the Media. Uh, Our opportunity to take a gander at a piece of pop culture, something in the zeitgeist, where we ask ourselves the kind of fundamental question, um, did they get this right? So this is uh, first in Visionary's History. Um, But we're actually going to be talking about All the Light We Cannot See, the uh, Netflix miniseries. And one of the first episodes ever did of this show, uh, we talked about the book on which the show um, is based on. Uh, This, of course, being the Netflix miniseries uh, from Sean Levy starring... Um, among the notable members of the cast, Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Laurie, um, as well as a blind actress who uh, actually has the lead in the story. And um, I was really excited when I heard that the book was being adapted into a miniseries. And then, you know, Mark Ruffalo got cast and Hugh Laurie came on board and like, okay, this is... um, is, uh, this has some great potential. So I was very excited to uh, to check it out. Uh, Aiden, before I brought it up, was it uh, was it on your radar? And uh, what did you think of um, of the program? 
Yeah, you know what, John? I, I actually, believe it or not, you, you sent me, you know, what you wanted to look at this week. I actually didn't even, I didn't even know it was a book at first. <laughs> I found that out uh, afterward. Well, not afterward, but after you told me, not after I saw the show. But um, I found out afterward that um, that it was a book. So um, it, it was actually really interesting to me. Obviously, I, I did like the pick. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get your thoughts first since you got the pick. But um, I personally... From what I saw, um, you know, about it, I thought that they did a, a really good job with portraying, you know, Marie and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, showing her in a good light. Um, obviously, you know, with her being somebody who, you know, can't see, but she's somebody who, you know, who wants to, you know, still experience, you know, life, who wants to explore, who wants to, uh, you know, make the best out of her situation. And John, I mean, when we're looking at this movie, um, I mean, obviously the story behind it, it's not like she's in a time period where, you know, people are tr trying to, you know, better themselves, who are trying to, you know, explore. It's more of like a really not like not a great time period. So, um, you know, I, a lot a lot of good stuff there, John. I just I don't want to go too much into it because I want to get your opinion as well first. Um, but yeah, no, I I like the pick this week, John. It was actually a really interesting uh, you know, four part series. Yeah, yeah. Um and um yeah, it was one of those where uh I can't say that the adaptation was like an A plus home run, can't miss, gotta mm. check it out. But um it certainly wasn't a letdown. Uh, and young Marie, who is the real, um, kind of centerpiece of the, no I mean, even though it's a divided novel and a divided miniseries between, um, kind of the two protagonists who are in completely different walks of life, um, that are sort of connected. Uh, I thought this actress, um, I was really pleased that they made the decision to cast someone, um, who is also visually impaired. Um, and I thought, I mean, the Mark Ruffalo performance, okay, you cast him because he's a name. Um, I mean, the guy's Bruce Banner. That, that's why you cast him. Um, but I thought his performance was, uh, was top shelf. Uh, Hugh Laurie, it's always fun to see him. And um, I'm really glad that this got made. And uh, that it's on Netflix. See, the thing about, um, look, it feels as though Netflix has a new, and not just Netflix, Amazon, all the streaming services, really, that every single week they've got some new offering, be it a miniseries, a movie, um, yeah. a, a full-fledged TV show. They've, they've got something new. So some of the stuff can almost fall by the wayside. Um, but this is out there forever. And even if folks haven't discovered it now, um, they will have the ability to do so uh, in perpetuity. And uh, I, for one, uh, offer my own endorsement of this adaptation, and I think it's really worthwhile. And uh, I was really pleased with the direction that um, the filmmakers went with, uh, with the adaptation. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you, uh, John, on that. And like, I know just kind of harping on what uh, basically what we both said, obviously, we're happy that they picked, you know, an actress who, you know, was visually impaired. And that's kind of what um Mark was saying, like, you know, let, let's give these people opportunities who want to try, who, who want to, you know, 
give it a shot. And that, that's that's what we got here in this movie. And they gave her a shot and um, I did a pretty did a pretty good job. Uh, I would definitely say did a, did a really good job. Um, and, you know, they showed her in a good light um, all around from, from that perspective of, um, you know, you're just looking at how this movie or how this miniseries uh, portrayed somebody in the disability community. I thought they did a great job with that. I, I don't think I did, for me there, I don't think there was anything where I was like, well, a little bit iffy on that or, well, maybe they didn't exactly do that. Right. One of them probably rather than done this. Like it looked like, you know, they did. I, I would even say that they did their own homework. And um, I mean, they had somebody, they, they worked with her and she did a great job. And uh, I, I thought it was actually a really, I thought they did a really good job with it. I mean, they made her ambitious. They made her somebody, even in a time it's probably pretty hard to be ambitious. Um, they made her ambitious and made her somebody who, you know, who wants to, you know, live life and, you know, be good. It kind of, like I said, it reminds me of like, you know, some of the stories that you tell with um somebody who, you know, wants to, and still is able to, uh you know, find a way to, you know, still enjoy these things. Um, And I feel like that's something on the, you know, the outside looking in like other people have the perspective like oh well they can't enjoy it because they have this disability and then you know we see it all the time where it's like well no they can they may be a little bit different but they're able to and they want to and that's the big thing they want to and then they find a way to be able to so um all in all i thought this uh i, th I thought the filmmakers did a pretty good job with this definitely definitely so i think uh it gets the uh proverbial two thumbs up from uh from the both of us and uh that is going to bring us to uh, our last segment, Connecting the Dots, modeled after the uh, Braille <clears throat> language uh, system, where there are six dots, and the whole language is set up by different combinations in which those dots have been paired together. Okay, so over... Um, the holidays uh, my wife and I went to Oregon and I am someone who's very interested in um, oh there's no kind of way to um, <laughs> I'm interested in haunted places um, kind of a, a maybe a strange uh, interest for somebody that can't see but, uh, yeah, I'm interested in, um, you know, kind of the, uh, the supernatural, the paranormal, all that type of stuff. So I looked into it, and I found that the most haunted place, according to kind of everything that I read, was this area known as the Shanghai Tunnels underneath the city of Portland. Um, apparently, when the city was first becoming a port city, these tunnels existed underneath kind of the main portion of the city where um, folks would get kidnapped and smuggled through the tunnels onto ships that were waiting in the port to take them, I mean, sometimes to China, sometimes Africa, lots of different uh, places. But so these tunnels were, are replete with just, oh man, like this happened there and this horrible thing happened there and, it's kind of unbelievable that anyone can access these tunnels anymore. And honestly, the city of Portland is attempting to even curtail that. And they keep kind of um, uh, whacking off different sections of um, 
the Portland Tunnel so that people cannot access them. But alas, there are still some areas that can be accessed. But I mean, you have to book a tour, which I was able to do. And uh, I actually went on this tour of the old, (laughs) extremely haunted uh, Portland underground tunnels. And, you know, I was not the only one on the tour, but I was the only one on the tour that couldn't see anything um, that was going on. And uh, it was interesting, kind of the reaction. And, um, look, I'm fully aware that people often communicate through mm, facial, um, like maybe they squint or kind of turn their head in a certain direction, like any, uh, lots of forms of nonverbal communication. Um, So blind people and visually impaired people oftentimes can sense when that's going on. Uh, It's not like, oh, they can't see, so they um, don't have the power to intuit. Uh, We certainly do. And I was made keenly aware that people thought it was kind of strange that there was this, you know, blind dude who wanted to go check out the underground haunted uh, tunnels below the city of Portland, Um, but was determined to do it. um, And it was an incredible experience. I mean, for a person who enjoys ghost stories, uh, paranormal happenings, all of the stuff related uh, to that specific type of conversation, it was it was a dream. And uh, I just, not something that a visually impaired person uh, should really be able to do. Uh, no, how many visually impaired people have even done it? Probably not all that many, to be honest with you. But yes, as echoing uh, our guest, Mark, from earlier, who cares? Who cares what the world says? You know, Um, it matters what you believe, what's important to you, what's important to your community, um, the people that you care about, the people that you fight for, that you ride for. So... I was absolutely fine with bearing the uh, befuddled glances from other people on the tour as we navigated the crazy haunted underground tunnels below the city of Portland. So that is, um, yeah, connecting the dots. I don't know, Aiden, any any, uh, thoughts on my anecdote there? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's another, you know, great story. And, you know, what I what I would take out of it is uh, obviously for our viewers is that like like you and Mark have said, just want to kind of harper in on it is, um you know, it doesn't matter what other people think. I mean, if you're going to go uh, and worry about what other people think, you might as well just crawl under a rock. <laughs> like, you have to go out there. Like, maybe is the situation maybe not as fair to you as this other people. Absolutely, that might be the situation. But um, I think kind of relating back to the quote that uh, we used this week, um, your situation might be a little bit different. Your situation, you might have to, you know, choose something else or like um, not choose something else, but choose something that's going to put you on a better trajectory. And that might be doing like you said, John, obviously, like, you know, 
going to these events. Now, actually, John, I want to ask you a quick question because yeah. and I, I think I kind of might have the answer, but I want to see if you maybe have maybe someone else to say on it or have your own answer. For these people who are, you know, afraid of the those type of things happening to them or having those, you know, possible scenarios running through their head, like it create a lot of stress. Like maybe they're going on one like a trip like you just said. And they have these scenarios play through their head and like it's it's really bothering them. What would be your best advice to make these things easier? Is it just to keep going and going and going to these things and like eventually you're gonna feel a little bit, you know, better about it? Or like do you have anything, like any tips for these people doing for maybe like the first time? Um, do your research, certainly. So it wasn't like I just kind of stumbled into this. Like I heavily researched um I mean, these particular tunnels, there are similar ones that exist in Seattle. There are actually ones uh, in the city where I live right now, Los Angeles, um, harder to access. And I can't find any tours that go down there, but I know that they exist. Um, So research. Um, What I always tell students, honestly, when it comes to this type of stuff is like, what's the difference between our community and in my case, the fully side community? Uh, we just have to pre- – um, I'm not a Disney person, but uh, I often say this to my students. You know the um, the song from The Lion King, Scar's song, Be Prepared. Be Prepared. Yeah. <laughs> um, so be prepared. Do your research. Um, think a situation through to the best of your abil- ability. Uh, do everything that you can do ahead of time to minimize that potential for – uh, undue stress in the moment. And uh, then I also am a big believer in trust the process. You know, Kobe Bryant's old quote, embraced by the Sixers and a whole host of others. Like, okay, if you have done your research and you have obtained, be it the training or the life experience that will enable you to thrive in a situation like the one I outlined earlier, um, so it's a combination of being prepared, uh, doing the legwork, and trusting the process. And then, yeah, the last piece of that puzzle, go for it. You know, what's stopping you? What, you might, like, bump your head? Okay, like, it's even if you bump your head, it's not going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, only got this one life, and... Um, do with it the most that you can. So, yeah. Something along those lines, man. Definitely, definitely. Awesome stuff there, John. Always awesome stuff. Um, I guess uh, that's probably going to bring us to an end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, without question. Okay, so do it for another installment of Visionary. Uh, Aiden, where can the folks follow us on uh, on social media? Yeah, Visionaries Podcast on Instagram. We're up there on Instagram. Links in the bio. You can go out, check us out wherever the podcasts are most convenient for you. Apple or Spotify, Apple or Spotify, whichever one works for you, works for us. And uh, we appreciate everyone listening. We appreciate Mark coming on. And uh, yeah, cool stuff. Definitely, uh, definitely excited for the next one. Absolutely. Okay, we'll talk to you guys all soon.